because our names are important to us. They define who we are. And in the same vein, the names of God and Jesus are important also. And both the Old and New Testament scriptures have many references to the name of God and the name of Jesus. And here's some scripture references. Now, you don't need to look these up. Uh, later on, uh, we will be looking at uh, several passages of scripture. But I just call these to your attention. Uh, if you want to write them down, that's fine. and Look them up later. The, the first mention of calling on the name of the Lord uh, became a society thing. That's in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. Abraham built an altar, and at the end of his sacrifice, he would call on the name of the Lord. Was that in prayer? Was that in praise? Probably. That's in Genesis 12, 8. Now, here's one that I do want you to look up, and uh, we have that on the board. The third commandment of the Ten Commandments was a very important principle about God's name. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 7. And I remember hearing a professor of mine, an Old Testament professor, and you've heard people say, well, we're no longer under the Old Testament law, and that's correct in a certain sense. But he said, anytime I hear somebody say, well, we have to do away with the Old Testament completely because we're now in the New Testament, he said, I always reach for my wallet to protect it. Why? Because one of the commandments is, thou shalt not steal. But look at this third commandment. It's a very important one. You shall not, and this is the NIV language, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The old King James says, shall not uh, take the name of the Lord in vain. This, divert, this verse demands a bit of comment in light of the language that we hear every day. This verse does not mean never speaking or using the name of God or Jesus as some in Jewish history practiced. Instead, their names are not to be used in either a useless or worse yet evil way. You know, every parent here would be angry and appalled and offended if people on a daily basis would use their child's name the way we often hear God and Jesus' names used. So let us be very careful to always honor the name of God and Jesus when we speak. When David fought that classic battle with the Philistine champion, Goliath, he told Goliath that this contest that they were entering into was to be fought in the name of the Lord Almighty. In the name of the Lord Almighty. That's 1 Samuel 17 and verse 45. Solomon was to build the temple to the name of the Lord. 1 Kings uh, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And he reminded the gathered Israelites at its dedication that God's name would be there to hear their prayers. That's 1 Kings 8 and verse 29. Solomon when he dedicated the temple that he was allowed to build, mentions the name of the Lord 13 times 
in 1 Samuel chapter 8 in his prayer dedicating the temple. The name of the Lord, or some variation, is mentioned 93 times in the Psalms, 35 times in the book of Isaiah, and 47 times in the book of Jeremiah. And this is only the Old Testament uh, references. There's hundreds of references to the name of God and the name of Jesus and some variations on those. Well, why do we even bring up the matter of the name of God and Jesus? That's because, one, this is the specific language of scriptures. And two, during biblical times, the name was important because they didn't have cameras back then. They didn't have cell phones back then. They couldn't snap a picture. Try to remember the face of a loved one or a friend that you haven't seen for years and you have no picture. It's hard to do, isn't it? We live in an age of pictures and lots of them to remember and document special occasions. But they didn't have that back then, so the name of a person or an individual was very important. A name is important because it represents who you really are. And this brings us to our topic for today, His Name is Jesus. Will you pray with me as we dedicate this time to, to God and the Holy Spirit to lead us? Father, we're thankful on this, the first day of the week, that we can gather together as your people, praising your name, Father, for who you are and for your Son, for who he is and for what he's done for us. And today, Father, as we catch a glimpse of what your Son was all about, when he came here. Help us as we look at the scriptures. Enlighten us, Father, by your spirit that when we leave here, we might be better than when we came. And, Father, that we might dedicate ourselves anew to professing your name before a city and a state and a world that doesn't know and respect you. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to take a look at a, a pivotal moment in the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, and it's chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 13 verses uh, as we go down through this uh, study. This event's recorded by three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record it. Uh, Matthew and Luke in, in detail, Mark in just a couple of verses, but we're going to look at Luke's version of this. It starts out in verses 1 and 2. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So if you remember... The baby that was promised to Mary by the angel Gabriel told her that his name was to be called Jesus. There's some significance there. One, that the baby's already been named, and two, that it's going to be a boy. Now, they didn't have ultrasounds back then, ways of determining what the 
sex of a child was going to be. But the angel told Mary, this child is going to be a boy, and you'll name him, you'll name him Jesus. And although this was a rather common name during that time, there's a great significance to the name Jesus, if you haven't ever studied and, and looked that up. In the Greek, the word Jesus means Jehovah is Savior. And the Hebrew equivalent in the Old Testament is a name that you're familiar with. It's the name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Now, even though Jesus was a common name back then, could you see the significance in him being named Jesus? Now, we also know that the angel said his name is to be called Emmanuel. This coming from the Old Testament scripture in Isaiah 7, God with us. And though he didn't go by that name, that was a descriptive name about what Jesus would do when he came. So what's the lesson here for us? Here was Jesus, of whom God spoke just a few days earlier. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Took place at the Jordan River when John had baptized him. And the dove came down, and, and God spoke at that time. So now we come to verse number three, which is the first temptation. Now, the Spirit has led Jesus out there, out to the desert, to confront or to be confronted by the devil. The Scripture's plain. It says the devil was there tempting him all those 40 days. Now, whether these three temptations that we're looking at were accomplished during that time or at the very end, I'm not sure. I tend to think that he was tempted the whole time, but these three occurred at the very end. So this first temptation, what was it? It was of a very personal nature. Hunger is personal, isn't it? The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Well, in talking about hunger, we all know what hunger is, don't we? It's really quite personal, isn't it, when we get hungry? Uh, we use an euphemism when we're really hungry. What do we say? Oh, my goodness, I'm starved to death. Really? I don't believe any of us here have ever reached that point. Years ago, I heard Dr. Don DeWelt, he was a professor at Ozark Bible College, speak at Oak Hill to a men's retreat. He told of being on a 40-day fast. Said the, and, and this I didn't know. He said the sensation of hunger after a couple days actually passes away. And some of you have been on fast, and, and you know that to be the case. But at the end, when the body was now starting to draw from the vital organs of a person, hunger really takes over. This was the point where Jesus was. 
he would have spent the preceding 40 days praying and communing with his father, preparing himself for the public ministry of the next three and a half years. His body would be at its weakest point. And although the devil had been tempting Jesus without success during the past 40 days, he was now ready to pounce and redirect Jesus' thoughts to physical nourishment rather than the spiritual retreat he had been experiencing. And so the devil says to him, if you are the son of man or the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Was it not within Jesus' power to have done that? The one who by his word spoke the worlds into being? Why, certainly he could have done that. But he chose not to, and his reply comes directly from the scriptures. And if you look up his reply to all three of these temptations, are going to come from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6 and chapter 8. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. This scripture came from the talk that Moses gave to the children of Israel just prior to their crossing the Jordan River to enter the Promised Land. Moses had given a recap of their 40-year journey after leaving Egypt. It probably sounded more like what a football coach would say in the locker room prior to the big game, just like the two coaches are going to do uh, late this afternoon. Moses tells them that God intentionally let them become hungry before providing them with the white manna that fell every morning, except on the Sabbath. And here was God's principle stated back then, and Jesus quotes it. He answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew in his gospel would add this to that, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus knew that, yes, physical food was important, but the more important thing was the word of God and to feed one's mind and one's soul on that. Well, Satan was defeated there. That's strike one. Verses five through seven is the second temptation, and this is the temptation that was of a power nature. Scripture says that the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Well, our next scene is truly a mountaintop experience, isn't it? The devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. How this happened? I don't know. I don't understand it. I just accept that it did happen. The devil said, look at all their greatness and splendor combined with all the good and beauty and greatness, and it's all yours. Well, here's the lie. The devil's lie to Jesus. The devil claimed everything had been given to him and that he in turn could give it to anyone he wanted to. Well, here it is, Jesus. I'm going to give it to you. 
No suffering, no denials, no rejection, no cross. It's all yours. And do you realize that this would eliminate the need for the cross? Let that sink in a moment. Ah, but there's just one small price, just a little one. Fall down and worship me, and it's all yours. You know, what you worship and adore is your God. Whether it's wealth, health, fame, possessions, job, family, whatever it is that comes in front of God that you would worship and adore, that becomes your God. Do you see the implications? Well, again, Jesus' reply to him comes directly from the scriptures, and here's the lesson for us from the same speech that Moses gave to the children of Israel. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's also the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. Remember, the house divided against itself cannot stand story that Jesus Uh, where Jesus made that point in Luke chapter 11 when he accused, when he was accused of casting out the devil by the devil. Remember he cast the devil out of someone? I said, oh yeah, no wonder he could do that because he used the devil to cast out the devil. Well, Jesus said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Had Jesus aligned himself with Satan, eliminating the cross and all that it stands for, our salvation would have been forever doomed. It would have been the ouster of Adam and Eve from the garden all over again, and God's plan would have been defeated. But Jesus didn't take the challenge because he knew who he should worship. But the devil was not done yet. He had failed twice, two strikes, but he's not out. And the third temptation that he tries on Jesus was of a public nature. The most sacred, holy city to the Jews was the city of Jerusalem, the capital of God's people. People thronged there various times during the year because that's where the temple was. That's where sacrifices were offered and and worship was made. And it was the most holy of places. Well, the highest point of the temple was the southeast corner where a fall from there was between 300 and 400 feet down. And basically what the devil was asking for Jesus to do was to take a swan dive off of the temple in front of thousands of people. And this time, the devil says, ha ha, I know scripture too. 
Starting the verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. You know, the sensational always gets attention, doesn't it? And the headlines. And even the devil and his people can quote scripture. This verse was taken directly from Psalm 91. That's a great hymn that talks about God's protection. But again, Jesus' answer is also from Moses' farewell speech where he reinforces for the Israelites not to test God by refusing to trust his deliverance, even when they were thirsty. You remember when they were wandering? You know, a huge throng of people. Uh, it doesn't give us a, a, a direct count, but probably a million to a million and a half people came out of Egypt, and they're now wandering and are going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Try to feed and give drink to that number of people, and it's understandable that they might, in a dry, arid area, get thirsty. Well, they began to grumble and complain. Have you ever been around somebody that that's all they did was grumble and complain? Kind of wears you down after a while, and finally, Moses was just so exasperated that he addresses God, and he said, what am I to do with these people? And God instructs him to strike the rock and water would come forth. And that's exactly what happened. And this was the answer that God also gave Moses that day. And Moses passed it on. Jesus answered in verse 12, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. God had allowed them to become thirsty so his providence would take care of them in their time of need. Well, this wasn't the end of the devil. Look what he says. The devil had finished all this tempting. He left him until an opportune time. Yes, the devil had been defeated by Jesus three times. But it wasn't going to be the last time that the devil would attack. He would continue his attacks. That appropriate time or opportune time involved the betrayal by Judas for a price of 30 pieces of silver. It involved Peter denying he even knew a man at whose feet he sat for three and a half years. No one spoke for him. He was let alone, left alone to suffer and to die. Jesus, whose name means Jehovah, is Savior. But what Satan did not know, because he's not all-knowing and does not know the future, you know, we tend to think, well, here's God on this side and his counterpart 
his equal counterpart on this side is Satan. No, that's not the case. Satan being a created angel who tried to usurp God's place in heaven was cast out of heaven and, yes, down to earth. And this is his place. He's called the prince of this world. But he doesn't know everything, and he doesn't know the future. Had he known the future, he would have known what the cross, crucifixion, and death of Jesus would have meant. And he never would have tempted and entered into Judas to betray him. Because that was God's means by which we today even are saved. It's God's plan that from before this world was formed that Jesus would come and live a sinless life and would be offered to God in our place. And listen to this final, well, I've got two more scriptures. This scripture from Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, Jehovah is Savior. There's one last scripture that I'd like to share with you. It's from Philippians. It's chapter 2, one of my favorite scriptures. And I don't know where you are today. Uh, I, I don't know if this is your first time here. I, I hope not because the preaching's better when Aaron's up here. But if you don't have Jesus, Jehovah's Savior, in your life, if you don't have the peace that Scripture says passes all understanding, if when you go to bed at night, you're not sure what's going to happen uh, if your life ends. If you're not sure in what direction to take your family, because things haven't been going right because of the way you've been leading and directing your family or your life. We're going to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse starting with verse number 6, or verse number 5. said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know that every, every person that's ever been born according to this scripture will confess Jesus to be Lord and will acknowledge him but if you haven't made that decision here in this life, even though you know who he is, he won't be standing with you because he wants you to do it here and now in this life. So we're going to give that opportunity. You may, we're going to have some uh, of the couples from the church. And Aaron will be over to the side over here. If during our time we'll, we'll ask the uh, musicians to come back up to the, to the front, uh, is that, that's going to happen now. Uh, and we'll ask when, as we stand to sing, if you have a decision, if you have a prayer request, if you want to spend some time having some of the uh, folks from the church pray with you and for you, with whatever decision that you have to make, we'd ask you just to make your way over to the side. Thank you. 